Hello, welcome, push the shout, 62, boom, from the midst of a blizz. It's finally here. Finally, after much delay, much further ado, here Without cometh, push the shout, 62. Skip, what you been up to? Uh, lots of stuff. Um, not a lot of video game stuff, but I'll start with that. Uh, okay. Squad. I got squad. You ever what heard of squad? Squad, as in like the squad be on fleek, as in no, not at all like squad? that. Not, not squad AF or anything like that. No. Squ uh, squad AF on fleek. Squad goals. God damn it. <laughs> um, no, it's a video game, and uh, it's made by the people who made Project Reality. Have you ever heard of that? Um, well, I have heard of Project Reality, and I just now realized how easy it is to drag down a conversation. By, with millennial <laughs> talk? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's alright, it's alright. I'm going to get back on it's, track. It's like an instant cocktail. It's a terrible start to the podcast. Well, and I did tweet this it's out. It's what people come... The good people first, come to expect. Yeah, um, first I'm going to talk about Squad. Uh, it, Squad is a badly named spiritual successor, I guess, to um, the Project Reality mod for Battlefield 2, uh, which was made by a fairly large team of modders and w became very popular. Uh, but they decided that they were going to do their own game so that they could have you know, the resources they needed, the ability to uh make the game they wanted i guess it, right now it's an early access and it and it definitely feels that way because it's not really uh complete there's not a whole lot of features it has some issues that need to be sorted out okay but tell the good people at home why they should be interested in this you should be interested in this because it, if battlefield is too chaotic and fast paced for you in that like oh you spawn you sprint you shoot someone or get shot and you die and you spawn and you sprint and you shoot someone and die. Um, if that's just too not fun, <laughs> then squad is like that slowed down to a slower pace, not exactly realistic, but more realistic and, and more, uh, you know, you're, you're more able to tell what's going on in the battlefield. Like it's not as chaotic and crazy. Uh, so it's, it's a mix between, kind of sim kind of stuff but also that battlefield gameplay i guess where like it's like your squad leader can put down a little spawn point basically and you can spawn on that uh but the spawn times can be pretty long depending on i'm not exactly sure what i don't necessarily understand all the mechanics yet but sometimes like it'll take 30 seconds to spawn sometimes it'll take five seconds but uh yeah it's 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 a fun game it's Got a pretty good community. So like everyone uses the mic, the microphones because you kind of have to communicate. Not everyone, but a lot of people. Uh, and you've got like your squad chat and your team chat, and then there's like a command chat. So you're mostly talking your own squad, and you can talk like local with people around you. Um, and that's built into the game, which is nice because like if you want to do that in Arma, there's certain there's certain in-game ways to do it, but it's not very well implemented. But in this, it's implemented very well. It's very easy to talk to your squad and talk to the person standing next to you and that kind of thing. Um, so it's it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. Uh, I like it. The community is all right. You do run into some, like, I guess what you would expect from that kind of game. You run into squad leaders who get really mad when you don't do what what they want you to do and, and act like they take it way too seriously and all that shit. And then you run into just really in incompetent people or trolls people team killing stuff like that 
So uh, you do run into that stuff, but I think the longer it's out, the less of those people. It's still relatively new, so I think you've still got a lot of people who are just in it to to goof around, and and it'll be a little it'll be a little better once once those people get weeded out, hopefully. But uh, so far, I'm liking it. Now, I've been getting into a similar slow shooter okay. that you already talked about, but I've put off um, Rainbow Six Siege. I yeah. just started playing. What do you think? I think it's pretty cool. I I'm do having too. some fun with it. Did you pay $60 for it? Um, I sold some CSGO items and wound up paying like 40 bucks for it. Okay. So I would say it's a $40 game. Squad's $40, and it, it feels like it should be. Um, but yeah, I, I felt I felt like $60 was too much. I'm I'm having quite a bit of fun with it. Um I like how unlike CSGO, it doesn't seem totally based in getting a twitch reaction on a peak. You know? Yeah. That it's you can actually plan things and use your arsenal to execute weird plans that it's take less... people by surprise and like in CSGO and no matter what weapon you're using and your flashbangs are only little diversions from the real fight which is I see you I'm going to shoot you in the head with one click or I'm going to miss and you're going to kill me like this has more room for tactical freedom at like the mid level of play that most people operate at yeah so it winds up you know like, I, I can I can understand that it's super high level of CS:GO play, that flashbangs and little things like that would be huge, but yeah. in like a standard game with people like you and me, I think Rainbow Six Siege more allows for you to use a lot of options and. Or I would say chaos. less. I'd, I'd say it's less about allowing you to use those options and more requiring you to use those options. Yeah, it's yeah. like you're not just going to run into a room and do anything. You're going to get killed, and it's less about your skill. Your individual skill with with actually shooting people accurately, and more about how you get to the point where you can shoot them first without them shooting you. Yeah. Uh, and and that's something that I I understood, but never got to really appreciate it because I only played it for two hours because I had to get my refund. Because I'm I'm gonna wait for that game to go on sale. I think you got Unless... your refund. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like fifteen or so hours in. I'm having some real fun with it. I if you keep playing it, maybe I'll pay for it because it would be worth it to play with people I know. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I asked the people that I'm currently playing with it um, right before I bought it, are you sure you're going to keep playing this game? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, this is actually really cool. And I started playing, and I'm like, yeah, this is really cool too. And it's, the like, the servers have been getting more stable, and um, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. It does it's seem a unique like unique multiplayer game. It's and I've seen some cool stuff where people, the strategies for that game because they give you all those gadgets and stuff, can be pretty uh, diverse. I guess like every game can go pretty differently because of what you're using and how you're using it and and how you're working with your teammates. I, like I saw a video of a guy sniping through boarded up windows because he had a drone on the inside and he could see where people were, so he was shooting them through windows and shit. Like that's really cool, uh, but. God, I didn't get to experience any of that. Mostly, mostly my experience with that game is like 
peeking around a corner and getting shot and not knowing where from and then waiting for my teammates to be incompetent and then the next round starts. So eh, I, 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 I do want to play it, though. I do want to play it with people I know. I just wish it wasn't $60. It doesn't feel like that is worth it. You know what else I've been playing? Mm. Lisa again. <laughs> okay. And okay, this is something I've I've come to realize. Undertale. Lisa and Undertale get compared a lot, so that's why I'm bringing it up. Undertale is often said to be very replayable, but really, each route once you've seen it, you don't need to see it again. Yeah. Lisa is the same story. No matter what little variation you do, but it's already like actually replayable as a game. Also, I've got back into it in pain mode, where you can only save once at each point, where the crow that you use to save will explode the first time you use it. So you have to like ration your saves, almost like Resident Evil One. Um, but it wasn't as like prohibitive difficult as I thought it would be I'm actually like a third of the way through the game that way and I'm having a lot of fun that um, okay so there's like 30 party members you can have in Lisa and oh. you can really only level about 5 or 6 of them to be useful in any given playthrough so a replay even if you're making all the same big story choices can still be vastly different because if you use different party members you're going to have a much different gameplay experience right. each time so i'm having a lot of fun cool. going back through it um really impressive and like the more i get into lisa the more like kind of pissed i get that nobody seems to have picked it up yeah I, it's, I... it's like tragically underappreciated i'd only when you mentioned it i'd only kind of heard of it like i knew kind of the concept of it and only because flimsy talked about it and if it weren't for that i never would have heard of it uh it's definitely under the, the radar the man himself austin jorgensen um ding-a-ling is his pseudonym that he publishes the game under uh i watched an interview with him and he is like He's amazing. So, have you seen the video of him doing like sword dancing karate shit? I don't think so. He's like a world champion sword dancer. What? Yeah, like he, it's amazing the shit he does. And, <laughs> okay. Like it, it's honestly incredible. And he he does that, and he makes all the music in these games, and he writes the story that is just crushingly affecting and like he is the definition of a renaissance man <laughs> right <laughs> just it's amazing and he was i was watching this interview with him with some guy from destructoid and he was just like so remarkably down to earth like ah oh, at least he was so humble like lisa's basically a huge ripoff of earthbound <laughs> and um you know, I think it's basically all surface level shit, but it's great. Austin Jurgensen. Good for him. All right. Flim I, I, this is a line. Nice. This is a line that Flimsy fed me. Um, my favorite indie dev could beat up your favorite indie dev. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's got their favorites. Uh, that's on my list. I. 
it's hard to have the time to play all these video games, man. Even at the beginning of the year when they shouldn't be coming out so often, there's a lot of them that I want to get to. And Yeah, that... Okay, so sorry, I keep pushing off here a bit, but... Um, it's not a bit. I, I was talking... Well, not a bit, but a, a thing. Uh, that when you push something on people, like Lisa or Undertale or whatever, that it kind of deters people from enjoying it. Because even if they pick it up, it doesn't seem like the enjoyment is totally theirs. Yeah. They don't have any ownership over it. Yeah, I know what you mean. That's so, how kind of how Undertale was for me. Yeah, and that I feel really like sorry for that. Because when I find these cool things, I want to share them. But I don't want to in any way diminish the value of them. Right. At some point. So, whatever. Just play Lisa on your own time. Enjoy it how you do. I'll do that. I'll make sure to <laughs> do that. Anyway, part of the reason I don't have a lot of time is I've also been watching some television shows. Ah. Mm. The tubular vision. Yes, on the tube. On the tube. Uh... I've been watching, I've watched the entirety, I binge-watched the entirety of Making a Murderer. No, I have yet to watch it. Don't spoil it. Okay, I, it's it's a real story, so I, whatever. <laughs> I won't spoil it. Um, but I will say it's, it's, it's basically on the same kind of vein as the yeah. serial podcast, like if that was a filmed documentary. Um, Speaking of, brief aside, have you okay. listened to season two of Serial? Yes, I've been listening to that. Okay, uh, I've only listened to the first episode of that. So, it's 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 not the same. It's different. It is definitely different. I, I have okay. no idea what direction they're going in with that, but we'll talk about that at, okay. once you're caught okay. up. Um, Making a murderer is like serial. I think it's a little more mind blowing and like like it exposes some some serious kind of corruption and messed up stuff going on in this like small town police department, you know, and it it. it almost proves that some of these people planted evidence and and conspired with each other and stuff just like really messed up stuff and uh and it doesn't necessarily come to any conclusions as to whether the guy did it or not but uh god that is like the hallmark of these shows yeah i know uh but uh it it's still it's still definitely worth watching it's crazy like i was sitting there around halfway through it's just every episode something they reveal something where you're just, what? I, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that the interview, the the confession that they got out of this guy actually went to court because it's so absurd. Um, just I, I I don't want to spoil it or anything. So so watch it. Definitely watch it. I heard it's get your fucking that mind blown. Really gets you angry. Yes, I I've heard of people they get to I episode I think it's that, four. Man, I, th- like... I think they get to episode four and they have to take a break because like they're so emotionally wound up from it. And I I I I, I, I powered through it. I'm strong. I'm I'm big and strong and I can I can handle it. But it is really like yeah, it will get you angry. Like... It will get you. Annoyed and I'm pissed just, off. I'm just coming Zap. off of Lisa, which is some of the heaviest shit. Yeah, well, this is real, man. I, I don't know if I want that. Well, maybe save it for another time. I'll, yeah, I'll, it's worth it. I can tell you that much. Put it on the list. Yeah, it's it's not as like it's not as well filmed as the Jinx was, where the Jinx was like this really actually like awesomely done little documentary thing series. Uh, and it's and it's not as 
I don't know. I liked the Jinx more, I think, but Making a Murderer just has the, the crazier story to it, like just the totally mind-blowing shit. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting, man. And, the, and my, my first impression of it, before I had watched it, my impression of it was like, okay, you know, they saw the success of Serial, they saw the success of the Jinx, and Netflix said, all right, we need one of our own, and they made this thing, and like, oh, they're going to leave out key evidence and stuff like that to make you more sympathetic, but it, it's pretty straightforward, and, uh, and it's, it's pretty good. So there you go. Um, another thing. Yes. Uh, I've been watching season two of, the, of Fargo. And uh, I'm almost done with it. I've only got like two or three episodes left. And it's also very, very good. Uh, I don't know. There's not that much that I want to say about it. Except that, God, it's really weird. Every episode has some kind of reference to aliens. Did I talk about this? Yes, you did. The aliens. Yeah. Like, I still haven't figured out what's going on there. But it's it's like people are seeing UFOs and shit. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what it means. Uh, But... It's exciting. I, I I like it. I'm having fun with it. Uh, and other than that, oh, I watched uh, today. I watched Spectre, and it was really okay. <sighs> How was Christoph Waltz? Um, not used to his full potential. That's a shame. Yeah. Uh, That's a real real shame. And it should be a really good role for him, but he just kind of feels. He could be the ultimate Bond villain. I oh, really yeah. feel like if you wrote him right. He could have been the perfect Bond villain. Yeah, and he's just, he just, I don't think he has enough opportunity to chew it up. Like the last one in Skyfall, the villain was so, he had such good, he had, he had really great dialogue. It was a perfect recipe. Yeah. Like, um, you have Javier Bardem from No Country for Old Men coming off of that Oscar winning supporting actor role two years after playing the Bond role. Nails it. Same thing for Christoph Waltz. This is two years after he won the supporting actor role. Wait, no. Yeah, Yeah, was it? Yeah, 2013 to 2015. Yeah, two years after winning the best supporting actor, he plays the Bond villain, and it could have been amazing. But I heard from others, and now you, that it wasn't exactly that. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like it's his fault. He just doesn't have a good character to draw from. It's just kind of a, a bad dude. You know, yeah. and uh, it, the the lines aren't interesting in any way. Like he just doesn't have any good. Unique... He's doing Clash of Clans ads now. <laughs> I know. I saw. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I saw. It, I saw it live in Times Square on the huge screens. Everyone needs a paycheck. Out there. You know. Yeah. I mean. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think it's I don't think this is like a death sentence for him or anything I think he's fine but it's 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 just not a very it's it's not well written for his his the way he's that he so acts. talented that yeah. he's, he's now collecting paychecks well you know maybe it's just in between good roles we don't know it's, it's not like it takes a long time we'll to see. Film. uh all right uh yeah so not only that I, I do want to talk about Spectre a little bit, actually, because Let's talk about it. it was disappointing in some very kind of like surprisingly surpri- ways that it could have easily fixed how disappointing it is with like really simple changes. Uh, first of all, it was like two hours and 40 minutes long or something ridiculous. Like, oh, my had, God. And had absolutely no right to be. No right. Like it, it, it should not have been anywhere near that long. 
the, like there's there's a car chase that just goes on and on and on and nothing that, fucking happens. That pisses me off. Like, okay, so conspiracy time. Back when I watched That's My Boy, the Adam Sandler movie. Oh God. Okay. And, and saw that it was like exactly two minute or sorry two hours zero minutes and like one second long that i realized there must be some like connection between how long the movie is and how much people get paid that certain lengths correspond to certain paychecks i mean i can't imagine that that's the case that makes sense you can't imagine no i can't that okay. if if you could justify to a studio that we need two hours and forty minutes for this movie, that that would like warrant more money. I don't know, man. Either way, the thing is, there seems to be more and more movies, including Adam Sandler movies, Ugh. that even at their trough, Jack and Jill were an hour and thirty minutes. They have ballooned in length. Ridiculous Six was two hours exactly. Ugh. Yeah. And so I, many of these movies, they're just so long. I feel like they it's just easier way, to... way, way longer than they have to be. That, that might be that editing and cutting to a suitable level of concision takes effort. But, um... If you can hear explosions in my background, those are fireworks. Not, not a gunfight going on outside. I don't know if you can hear that. Okay. Um... I, I could see that in like the case of Adam Sandler movies, like, all right, we got to get a scene in for this guy and this guy and this guy. These all need these guys all need scenes, you know, so that they can get their paychecks. And so the movie has to be long to accommodate all of it. Uh, I guess I could see that as being a factor. But in the case of the James Bond movie, uh, I, I don't know, maybe. But it, to me, that. it feels like I don't want to go that far. I, I just think that there's some like on some level of production that you get more money if you're aiming for a certain length, that that's part of the scale of the movie, and that if you're dealing with big names, big properties like Craig and Waltz, then, you know, including them in a two-hour and 45-minute production is going to let them get a bigger payout and get more... I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the impression that I got from watching it was is that they wrote it thinking that this was going to be like Skyfall was kind of a revolutionary almost in like the bond in the way that bond is told in a story. Like you delve into his background and like things are revealed and things happen that forever change how, how the future of bond is going to be. This has a lot of that kind of stuff in it. Um, Like stuff that's like, okay, this can, this is changed forever. You know, there's a, there's a storyline here that's going to break off and, and always be different from how it was. Um, and so I feel like they were trying to make it into that kind of big thing that Skyfall was, but that the script doesn't support it at all. Like it the, didn't have Adele. The, <laughs> what do you yeah, do without Adele? That too. Actually, I, I hated the song at the beginning, but anyway, the the overall Skyfall. the overall story, like uh, just the the beats were fine, and like I could see those being in a good movie. Uh, but it's when you get down to the nitty gritty and the individual scenes that go on for too long. The dialogue isn't well written at all. Daniel Craig has the worst dialogue in any, almost any Bond movie I've ever seen. It's not schlocky to enough to be like entertaining, but it's 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 not 
well written enough to be serious and so it's just him saying these lines and this like he doesn't feel like bond he feels like a knockoff and and like a robot and like during the during the car chase he's talking to himself so like he's driving this car really and, and he doesn't know that what, doesn't seem like james bond it doesn't. at all there's these gadgets in the car and he doesn't know what they do there's a bunch of switches and he's trying each one individually and like he'll be like all right let's see what this one does and it's like bond doesn't say that to himself that's not a bond thing to do bond that's like, isn't the per the person who doesn't know what the switches do. That too, that too. That uh, Bond would always know exactly what he would be driving along a bridge. There's a story he'd be going. He'd that. be driving along the bridge and he'd go, and then every switch would just be, boom, I'm putting on the springs and leaping across this chasm and the enemies <laughs> behind me will fall into the water and then it'll drive off from the distance and well, see, there's some the stuff, boosters like there the, is, this switch. There is Bond would never fuck up the switches is what I'm saying. He would never like misclick. That's well, not something not he would do. it's not misclicking. There's a story explanation for why he doesn't know what the switches do. And it could have been a good scene, but it wasn't. Uh, God, those fireworks are fucking distracting. Jesus. Uh, are you sure there's no paramilitary uprising? Like every couple weeks, there's this club on the hill I'm in Birmingham and, and I'm right under Vulcan and so there's like this party Vulcan. thing that they do and yeah Vulcan statue like a Black Lives Matter look it up thing. on Google no uh what <laughs> what does Vulcan have to anyway uh <laughs> no it, it, it they do some sort of like weddings or celebrations or something and they always have like the same fireworks show and it ends with this huge finale and that was it anyway uh there's some scenes where Bond is his you know casual suave I'm doing something really badass and doing it with a straight face, that kind of thing. But it's it's overdone and it doesn't feel right and it doesn't feel remotely Look it up justified. No. Uh, like he blows up a base and and it doesn't like he, you you the way that he does it doesn't make sense and and doesn't like he couldn't have done it on purpose, but he acts like he did. And maybe that could be funny if it was a comedy action film and it was like, oh, he did something that caused the whole base to explode. But instead he acts like – it just feels like he was supposed to have done it on purpose. And, and there's absolutely no reason that he could have done it on – no way he could have done it on purpose. It just happens. Uh, stuff like that constantly. Uh, Amazing. And, and so there's a couple of like – I want to point out some specific instances of things that they could have – I should have I should have been there to tell them, no, 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 no. What you need to do is this. Here's one of them. Uh, M, the new M, is confronting one of the bad guys. And the bad guy says, uh, now we know that, it, that M stands for moronic or something like that because he's got him, <laughs> he's got him in a situation that, that, that he shouldn't have gotten himself into. But then it turns out, oh, the, the gun that he's using to shoot M was unloaded. M has the bullets in his hand. Like a really fucking cliche scene. Did uh, What? Okay. Someone in the chat mentioned the revenant. Did we talk about that last week? I just wanted no, to check. I haven't seen it. Okay, I want to talk about that. Okay, first this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's already a cliche scene. It's already really stupid, and you've already got one really dumb line of "M stands for moronic," and the response to that line was almost fantastic, and like, so he says, the other guy's name is C. There's another guy in the organization, but he's a bad guy. Yeah. So this guy's name is C. And it's M versus C, and C says, well, now we know what C stands for. Cunt. Exactly. That's what you think instantly. You think, oh, that, that's a funny one. Like, he, he's actually, he, he delivers it well. And he pauses for, like, five seconds, and he says, careless. 
and it's not done for laughs. It's just that's what C stands for, and that drove me so crazy because that would be a classic Bond moment. Would be like, now we know what C stands for, and leave it hanging <laughs> because that's what Bond movies do. Is they there's all sorts of like of of metaphors and and like things that 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 draw the line between like R rated and that kind of thing. But instead, they say careless, and I feel like I don't know. Maybe maybe they were afraid to go all the way, and maybe they're still supposed to imply cunt. I don't know, but that pissed me off. And then the end of the movie. I'm not going to spoil this. This is just the you know, this is the after all the action scene, um, where he's got the girl. You know, he's got the girl at the end, and I'm thinking, okay, here we go. They're setting up because a lot of the stuff in this movie calls back to like the really old Bond movies. I'm thinking they're setting up for that scene where. Q finds Bond on the satellite and he's having sex with someone <laughs> and, and then they're like, oh, Bond. And I'm thinking, okay, they're going to do that again because what they've done earlier in the movie is they've injected him with something that measures his vitals and they like make a big deal out of it. They're like, this will measure your vitals. And then you've got Q pulling up his vitals and stuff or what looks like him pulling up his vitals. And I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be like, oh, he's got like an accelerated heartbeat and there's going to be some really goofy, schlocky, like... Uh, oh, he's having sex and it'll be funny and stupid. Uh, but instead, it's just stupid and not funny. And I hate, I, I don't hate the movie. Like, it wasn't terrible. It was just super disappointing and really bland. And the car, the fucking car chase. They're just driving around the streets of Rome doing nothing, drifting around the corners at pretty low speeds in very fast cars that shouldn't be going that slow. Uh, God. So it was like uh, with that commenter. In my videos once. What? Douglas Harris. What? The one, I'm sorry. So he's the one who uh, inspired me to make that. Oh, movie. right, right, right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he needs uh, to be told that it, yeah. Well, yeah, so he mentioned, um, like, why didn't you mention Dirt Rally 3 and this other racing game in your year end video? Because I don't play these fucking racing games, but um, he's called Witcher Three, a cocksuck storybook game, and cocksuck storybook. That's exactly yeah, right. exactly. Cocksuck storybook game is Witcher Three, and uh, basically that if it had enough room room action cars, then it would be a real game of the year contender. So, you know, I like maybe this guy was trolling you. I was getting epic beefed. Maybe he's an internet uh, like troll. Um, epic bacon, pwn. So did you see Re the Revenant? I did. Tell me about it. I want it. to talk about the Revenant. Um, the Revenant was kind of a weird movie. So it's directed by Alejandro G. Iñárritu, okay. who directed Birdman. And while Birdman was a super fast-paced, really dialogue-heavy movie with like comedic undertones even though it was probably mainly a drama it yeah. had comedic undertones sure um the revenant is very slow paced um has absolutely no levity at all okay has some of the most beautiful cinematography I have ever seen in my life um, and felt extremely long felt longer than it should be but 
felt satisfying by the end. All right. I've heard it compared to uh, the scene in Castaway where he does his own dental work with the ice skate. Like a lot of cringy survival stuff. There was a lot of that, but what's really impressive about it, what elevates it beyond something like that is the direction. That you have the same technical skill that was in play with Birdman to make it all look like one continuous scene. This is even more incredible because that's an actual nature. These streams and mountains and snowy hills and they're in actually remote parts of the country. They should have filmed and, it in a 70 millimeter Panavision, Ultra well, Panavision. Whatever they did paid off because like there's these scenes that happen out in the actual wilderness that are like 20 minute unbroken sequences of like different um like uh, fights and i don't know struggles playing out like it's not just like a 300 action sequence or something um it's really, really impressive. The action scenes from the trailers looked really, or from the only trailer that I saw, I think, looked really impressive with, like, him riding on the horse and, like, shooting shooting some engine off of his horse and stuff like that. Like, it looked really... It looked like all practical effects and, and really... It, it, really it is. Like, it's insane. And, well, there's one that's not practical effects that's gotten everybody a buzz. is the bear. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard of that scene. It's, it's one of the few times... Where you say, like, this movie could not have been made without CGI. Right. That the same value could not have been communicated without CGI. Because the way that the bear is attacking him, and it's like, it's not, it's not quite playing with him, but it's like subdued him for a second, and yeah. isn't quite sure if it's going to be a threat anymore. So he's like pushing on his his midsection, and then his spine can't help but like recoil from it, and it, like that could not have been done before now with our technology. That it's it's really impressive that CGI could be used so effectively to supplement such like a raw naturalistic. Film. Yeah. Neat. Cool. Yeah. That sounds really intense. I, I've I've wanted to see that. I think it's still in theaters. That might be one of those movies that like I actually you, go to you, go to the theater really, and watch alone. You really should see it in theaters. I think that yeah. so much of its value came from the visuals. Yeah. And I I don't know if it would have been the same movie if I hadn't seen it on the big screen. All right, sweet. That's that's another thing on my list. <laughs> um, did I mention everything I wanted to? No. One more thing on my on my uh, <clears throat> weekly list here, a YouTube channel that I, I, maybe you've heard of. I feel like most of our viewers probably have heard of it. Daniel from SL, have you heard of this guy? No. Should I? Uh, Do I yes. have to? Yes, it's not. Yes, uh, Daniel from SL is one of the best video game channels on okay. YouTube, and I mean that. Something good. good. Yes, it's very good. Um, it's not like it's. They're very simple videos. Like if you have you ever heard of Charlie Winsmore? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's that same kind of thing of like pissing people off on. That's how he started out was pissing people off on Second Life and just annoying Amazing. the shit out. And like he does this, 
I guess, character where he he responds very simply to people and very purposefully misunderstands them. And so most of his responses are just, okay, all right. And like, even if they're asking like a yes or no question, he'll just be like, all right. And, <laughs> uh, and then they'll tell him to do something and he'll purposely misunderstand it and like cause them to be harmed in some way or something. So he started playing Daisy and Rust where you can, you know, team up with players and kill them in some really spectacular ways. And like, there's one, there's one video where <laughs> he fills people's water up with gasoline and apparently you can't detect it when it's gasoline, but you just drink it and it poisons you. Amazing. And so like he, he finds people out in the thing that are like dying of thirst. And they're like, oh man, do you have any water? <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, sure, man, sure, man. Here's, here's some water. And then he'll like go play with them and like be like, you know, scavenging the, the wasteland with them or whatever. And, <laughs> and they'll be like, it says my character is feeling sick. And, like, <laughs> and, 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 and then Daniel's like, oh really, man? What, I don't know what, what's going on. And like, he acts like a sociopath too. He doesn't show any emotion, <laughs> never laughs or anything. He's just like, "What's going on, man?" And then they're like, "I don't know. I, it's saying my character's sick. I don't know." And then they just and they just pass out. That's great. <laughs> and he walks up to one of them and he's passed out. And the guy's on Skype with him or whatever. He he teamed up with him long enough to convince him to go on Skype or Teamspeak or whatever. And he's playing with this guy and the guy passes out, and he runs up to him like passed on the ground. And he's like. Dude, what happened? The guy's like, I don't know, but I think I'm going to wake back up. Like, I don't think it killed me or anything. He shoots him in the head. <laughs> but the guy doesn't know it because he's passed out. And all, all he sees is the black screen. And they're like, oh, man, I'm dead. And he's like, oh, really? You're dead? What happened? It's it's phenomenal. I, there, I, I just watched all – he doesn't have that many videos. He's just been, like, going through 2015, I think. But um, I watched every single one, and they're all hilarious. They're all fantastic. He's just a fucking sociopath. It's it's really great. Uh, yeah, someone That's someone great. compared him to Nathan for you. He's like the Nathan for you of video games. Like just this kind of like awkward, straight faced dude that just leads people to their peril, and and they have no idea that that he's fucking with them. Like for the most part, like he acts like he's on their side, but he's just doing these horrible things. It's great. Oh man, you have to watch that. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you some of his videos because they're really good. Amazing. I had to mention that. All right. Let's get to news, I guess. Is there anything else to talk about? Um, well, Witcher 3. Okay. I've been playing it more. You know I love to talk about Witcher 3. Yeah, I saw you uh, streaming Witcher 3 quite a bit in the last week or so. I yeah. never ever watched, I confess. But, um... That's I have a... seen you that you've been streaming. So. <laughs> I've I been guess. playing a lot of it. Uh, yeah, me it's, too. It's a lot of fun to go back and play through. It's surprisingly fun. Uh, I'm still on my first playthrough. But it, it's this is a game that I'm enjoying just like savoring. Yeah. Doing it slow. Yeah. I'm maybe putting in a good, I don't know, four hours a week. But each time that I play it, I'm totally into it. Yeah. And, and it's one of those games that you want to be immersed in. Like exactly. you don't want to. I I purposely avoided streaming it because I realized very quickly that it's the kind of game. I think I streamed like the first time I played it, and I said I'm not going to stream this because right. I don't yeah. want to sit here like talking to chat and stuff. It's the kind of game that I just want to focus in on. There's yeah. something like the Crones of Crookback Bog. Yes. Oh my Could've god. Been so much worse 
if you were trying to entertain yeah. a 30 or so person chat full of people. Uh, how far have you got? Right now, uh, I've done most of the stuff in Novigrad, I'm pretty sure. Oh, really? Yeah, I think the next major thing for me to do is to go to Skellige. Have you met Dandelion yet? I think I'm about to meet him. Yeah, and then I, th and then I think after that you are off to Skellige. And Skellige, I think, was my favorite part of the game, actually. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really like that game. That For me, the first like adventure game I ever played was Ocarina of Time. That's a, that that's was, a good one to start out with. That was my benchmark for every video game I ever played and The Witcher 3 is is living up to those standards and yeah. I, I mean clearly it's better than Ocarina of Time on Nintendo 64 but well, I mean even my idealized standards of that kind of game it's just doing it all right yeah. that the, the little characters that I meet along the way are interesting and have their little stories and that means so much yeah um that i i put a disproportionate amount of value on that kind of thing that's just my preference i don't that, think it is disproportionate really I, I, because i think what the witcher 3 does really well and i do think the zelda games do this very well and uh and my first real probably adventure game is Morrowind and Morrowind excels at this. Uh, in fact, it's one of its only redeeming features is, is world building, you know, getting okay. you immersed in its, in its world and wanting, getting you to want to actually explore the world and find out more about it because that's supposed to be the main appeal of these games. It's an RPG. So maybe I'm not a freako. No, I don't think you are because it's the little things that matter a lot, especially in the Witcher where, it is those things that you stumble across randomly and, you know, you walk into an inn somewhere and start some random quest line or something and it, and it actually like goes places. That's, that's what you know, gets you, that's what pulls you in and makes you want to keep playing and exploring more. I was just thinking about The Witcher on a more cynical gameplay level. Yeah. Um, because in my year in review video, I said that I hadn't encountered any quests where it's just go here, kill the people, get the thing, like... Yeah. You know, now playing it, there are things like that, but none of them are quests, really. All of those are the random encounters with the exclamation points. Oh, sure, yeah. But they're they're handled so much better because there are those things to kind of give you stuff to do for the length of it. But when you get to them, it's not like you had a marker on your map directing you to it and sort of subliminally uh, like signaling to you that oh this is going to be a quest this is important yeah and then you get there and it's just kill the thing i forgot to mention that something i actually did was i turned off the mini map someone suggested that to me i think sarcastically they're like oh well if you really want to play the witcher 3 you gotta turn off the mini map and i decided to try it because why not uh and there's some frustrating bits where like especially I think I might turn it back on for stuff in Novigrad because it's such a huge city and it's hard to find your way around. Novigrad is massive. Yeah. Uh, so maybe I'll turn it back on for that or something. But for just wandering around the, the like, Velen, uh, you appreciate the world a lot more when you've got the mini-map off. And, and it also... So, like, 
that's something that people suggested. I was pissed off when Oblivion was first coming out and they had the markers on the compass. And I was saying, well, that's part of what I liked about Morrowind was finding my way there. I wrote a whole article on that on pushashout.net. You did. Pushashout.net. Uh, and what people... In your browser. And what people suggested was, well, just you can turn it off. There's an option in the options menu to turn it off. But, but it, the game assumes that you're using it. And so the characters don't guide you to now, the objective. I turned off the path to objective. Oh, okay. Did you do that? I never the... did that in my first playthrough, and I, 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 I wish I did. But I have, I've got the whole mini-map off right now. That that feels like the perfect middle ground to me. Um, I kind of know what direction things are in. Yeah. It's a kind of sense of direction that you feel like you probably would have in that world where you know what things are north and south and east and west. and um, I, I don't know. I think I'll tell that, you... I think that there's there's a middle ground between turning off the video game HUD entirely and having like perfect guidance to a laser perfect objective filling machine uh, non-role playing solos experience the, the perfect middle ground is something that Far Cry 2 did which is Far Cry 2 was not a fantastic game but it had it had some amazing gameplay design stuff that I never saw in any other games like it just didn't the other games don't do this it's a shame that it was so bad yeah. besides those things yeah, because uh, there was it could have been amazing, but then it they they screwed up in some really fundamental ways. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> the in-game map in that, where like you pull it up and you're actually like looking at it, like if you're driving a car, you pull it up on the steering wheel and like you look down at the map while you're driving yeah. the car. That is that is to me the perfect middle ground. It marks stuff on the map and it shows where you are. Uh, and I don't even think it should have to do that. Like maybe mark stuff on the map, but don't necessarily show where you are. I, I, I like figuring out where I am based on how the map looks and stuff. But that's I'm a little I'm a little weird in that in that sense. I think. But well, uh, it, that stuff works so well in Zelda, because yeah. in Zelda, everything is a landmark. That every part of every map and section is a deliberate feature and so different from everything else around it. Like, that's something Zelda excels at that uh, Bethesda doesn't. Yeah, of course, Zelda, the Zelda maps are smaller, more... Well, right, you know, but... Segmented. Even... Well, yeah, I mean, they have less traversable space land-wise. Yeah. But sometimes they have the sea and the sky, and they have lots of, you know, empty space. But what winds up happening is that the stuff that they do design winds up being somewhat interesting. Yeah. Instead of just endless expanses of nothing. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I Yeah, there's a few games that have done things like the Far Cry 2 map is, is, is great. Um, which this is, is kind which of a... of feels like a great balance. Yeah, and you can you can you can oh, you can turn stuff off as you want to. The thing the, the thing that's interesting about Witcher 3 is the fact that even though I turned off the the mini map, for the most part, if I think about it, I can find my way to places based on what characters say to me, based on how they describe, you know, what you need to do. Like, oh, you want to find the the weird sisters or whatever, uh, the crookback bog witches. You have to follow the treats, and then they start at this part of the bog. And like, if you if you explore around, you'll find it. Um, that part was really cool. Yeah, uh, and 
there's some stuff that that yeah you have to check your map and see where it is but uh it's surprisingly easy to to get your way around and the that, city like i said the city is going to be a problem but other that, than that i really liked doing having to stop press start look at the map figure out where i am relative yeah. to where i want to be plot see, that's... course start going there that is part of the exploration process yeah the most fulfilling exploration that you do in video games comes not just from stumbling on new things but from knowing generally where the new shit is and then plotting a course to the new shit yeah uh grand theft auto san andreas was i think the last grand theft auto game to to not have the gps telling you where to go uh, it would tell you your objectives, and it had a mini map, and it would so it was like what how you're playing The Witcher, basically. So what you would do is you'd pull up the map, and you'd say, "All right, I need to get on the highway, and you know, turn off when I see this thing, and you know, try to make my way there." And uh, it makes you learn the map a lot better, and I think that's part of the fun. And I I, I do think yeah. that that's I think yeah, a lot yeah. of people just get frustrated from that, but I think that it adds a, a lot. In to... The Witcher, in The Witcher. Um, I was supposed to get this certain herb to drive out a godling from a house. And um, because I didn't have the objective path, I was going into these different houses and it wasn't quite, you know, the right place. Yeah. And so I got to talk to lots of different NPCs and hear the little snippets that they had. And yeah. They were all sort of unique. I don't know exactly how unique they are. You could probably hear the other dialogue across the city, but, you know, I've been going to those places. I went into those buildings because I was looking for the the house I wanted. Yeah. And I probably wouldn't have encountered that if I had the path to the objective. If I had yeah. the path to the objective, I would have just gone there and I would have never heard what the incidental NPCs have to say. You also end up just just seeing the stuff around you that's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that they've spent a long time building you know like yeah like, I, I learned where shit was too yeah like, having to figure out how to get someplace it makes you think of that place as more real almost yeah and and it it, it makes you appreciate some things that i think would be easier to miss that because they've added so much detail to their world and done such a good job building it that like Oh, this is where the broken bridge is, and you end up looking at the broken bridge rather yeah. than just looking at the map and saying, "Oh, this is where I go." It's like, "Oh, here's the broken bridge," and like there was a part. Uh, the reason I mentioned broken bridge is because the part where you go get the godling's voice back. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's his name? With the, uh, Johnny. I love, I love that little Johnny, 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 Johnny. Yeah, Johnny. Uh, there's a broken bridge on the top of that hill that goes over the waterfall, and he's waiting I at the bottom of the waterfall. And if you go to the bottom of the waterfall, you see the pieces of the bridge that have been washed down yep. from the top of the hill. Little things like that. Like, they sound so stupid and insignificant and, like, I'm harping on, like, tiny things. But that's that's exactly what draws me in. And uh, the port of Novigrad has tons of details on it that uh, I, I just completely Those walked are... past on my first playthrough because <laughs> I was looking at the minimap. This is the kind of stuff that I think Western RPGs do better. Because oh. in Nino Kuni... There's a similar thing where there's a bridge broken in one of the dungeons. And then on like the sort of, I guess you could call it a mega map, where you're looking at the whole overworld and you're walking mm -hmm. around on it, 
you can see a chunk of the bridge wash down the stream. And, you know, that's you can obviously make the connection there. But there's nothing as involving as that one-to-one -one scale and realistic positioning yeah. that happens in The Witcher. But it, it, it seems, I don't know, it's so much more engaging. It's something that Bethesda does terribly, as I've mentioned before on this very podcast, where, like, this they have an overpass, podcast. yes, an overpass that collapsed, but the part where it collapsed it doesn't exist because they just, whatever, they didn't model it in. <laughs> I mean, it's just, like, lazy, lazy shit. Um, Todd Howard, you are hereby invited to join the boys on the Push to Shout podcast. We know you're a listener. Where we will lay pwn you before live studio. Well, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll ask you the hard-hitting questions that you deserve. But I do think I, I don't like using the term lazy game development because it's like game development inherently is very hard work. Uh, Bethesda in particular, they have a small team for yeah, the size of the game they make. That's the thing. I didn't get the sense at all that Fallout 4 was lazy. <sighs> There's certain things... I felt that, like, they were... Putting they a marker... They were a team. They were a team, and they tried, but it was more than they were up to, really. I think but... it's... There's inherent things about their game that is lazy, though. I think there's things like... Like, using a compass to point you in the right direction that is lazy, because it's hard to to design your world and design your dialogue and quests and all of that in such a way that that people can find their own way. It's much easier to just put a marker and say, this yeah. is the way you go. Um, because then you don't have to design your world. Like, you know, there's some classic... You see, Fallout 4, if you're moving from place to place in Fallout 4, is like traversing a weird kind of limbo where, you know, it, it's just procedurally content-aware filled space with geometry connecting certain scripts it's, it's, story let's just put a car here and a rock here and a bush yeah. here and have the road connected and you know it, it's like it doesn't surreal game yeah. design um and i think it's interesting you used procedurally generated because that is how they did Oblivion, and I think maybe Skyrim too. Is they yeah, yeah, sure. a speed tree, yeah, and it, and it shows because there's no heart to it at all. Um, and uh, well, with your three, you ride around the bend, and then you see four people hanging. And yeah. There's a note under it that describes what they've been accused. And you can of. see the there's an area of the map where there's the been sun a war comes happening. over just over yeah and, then and, there's and bodies see, like and... there's burned villages and stuff in this section and here's where the army is and you know oh they haven't been able to cross this river and then you know it, it, you can actually like follow how yeah. the world works even just looking at the map and seeing like oh here's 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 the war torn area but then you cross the river where like they're not letting people through and that's where all the people are having a much better life near Novigrad or like or wealthy and 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 well off and just yeah. The Witcher 3 does what Lisa does almost as well in having there be very little to no grinding. You can really just do the quests and the side quests as you encounter them and you're never really going to be out outclassed. That it's all basically surmountable if you're if you're moving through it at about a normal pace. That's something Lisa excels at too. That you're never stuck trying to grind 
and get stronger. Um, I had to do that like once in Witcher, but I probably didn't actually have to. I just wound up doing it. Yeah. But um, it it's not common. Well, you Most... you're playing on hard, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, hard is very hard in some areas, and I think they've patched it and made it a little better. But like there was one area where I did a quest that said it was my level, and I come across an enemy that was basically impossible for me to beat, and I had to just go back later. Um, so there, there was some weird stuff where they, they fucked. I do have a lot of criticism of The Witcher 3, believe it or not. Especially my second playthrough, I'm starting to like notice a lot of the, the flaws, uh, which I already was aware of, but like have, have amplified where it's like, God, this horse really does control awfully, like terrible. It's awful. I hate I, I, I have noticed that. Yeah. And uh, that Roach is really bad. Yeah. Especially because, okay. Metal Gear Solid Five fucking sucked, story wise. But the horse, on a basic design level, it was, was fine. Great. I don't know about great. It was. Fine. I think it was great that there were basic decisions that were made that made it a great implementation of a horse in a game, where you would call the horse, and even if you were running. It would come up alongside you, and you yeah. could mount it and keep sprinting. But that's something I've really, really wanted. Playing it's still basically Red Dead Redemption's system, but and, it's better. Metal Gear, but I don't it's know. Better. It's about the same. Well, it's better. <laughs> but yeah, The Witcher Three does not do a good job with that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's a good job. I don't know if it's a great job. It's no, it, I think it does a. I think it does a. I don't even know if I'd call it. Uh, I don't know if I'd even call it uh, like like acceptable. I, I I have so much trouble just like yeah. do you ever find this where like you're going along the path and you just stop, like your horse goes uh, there's yeah. nothing there and you just yeah. have to start again. That's and happened. So why the fuck am I having to do that? And it's just and then getting ridiculous. stuck on trees and shit. If you try to like go off the road and like turn around, like you get stuck on trees, but you're still sprinting. It's just like this really old school weird control design that sucks and I, I i i really really strongly dislike like i found myself wanting a mod that just like gave me a motorcycle or something to use instead you know of all the mods i've been wanting i don't know if this is just me wanting less difficulty or something but um repairing weapons and armor by the kits that yeah i have them but Still, I seem to be divided by time between playing the game and having fun and maintaining my level of resources such that I can continue to furnish my weapons and armor to I have think that's actual hard, fun in the game. I think that's a really hard hard line. Like, uh, It's hard to balance on that line because I agree there's some things where they could have done it better, but... Uh, but the the resource management that game is important. I'm not saying it's flawed at all. Yeah. I'm just saying that that's not a part that I particularly enjoy. Yeah, but I think that there's something satisfying to after you've been out for a while and like your equipment has degraded a little bit and you're you're out of food to eat and stuff like that. Going back to a village and restocking, there's that's true. That's true. There's something important about that 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 would that would that adds to the game even though it could be frustrating i think i might just be at that trough right now yeah yeah of having weapons and there's also these things that you learn like 
that you don't necessarily know towards the beginning where like, yeah, you need to stock up on armor kits and weapon kits so that you can repair those in the field if you need to. I made the mistake of not doing that in one of the first quests where you're going through the elven ruins following the wild hunt. And like that goes on forever. It's a really long quest and it's too long and I don't like it. Um, and by the end of I it... I haven't even gotten to that. Yeah, you have. No. It's with Kiera Mitz. I might the, have. The sorceress and then it... Well, I talked to her. I did some quests, and then I fucked her, and then I had to reload. <laughs> was it before that? Uh, yeah, I think it was before that. I think okay. that's the part yeah, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Have you done the rest of that quest, where like you go to the island with uh, the tower on probably. it? No, maybe not. No. You would remember it. It's a very memorable quest. You go to out to an yeah, island. Currently, it's currently, island. I just have a. Uh, um, an invitation from Kira Mitz. Yeah, you need to do that. You need to do that quest. No, because if I do that, then I fuck her. You don't have to fuck her. You I have to fuck her. Then do that and still play. That's what I did on my first playthrough. But I she only want to fuck I know. She tricks you. Oh, okay. Well, then you can stay loyal and <laughs> you just have to completely avoid her. I mean, I we're know. seeing insights into your life, into your real I life. I think, <laughs> I think Triss is better, honestly. Wow, you're a Triss guy. What's worse about Triss? What's worth What's worse about I've, Triss? I've, I've I've discussed this at length on my on my stream that there's two kinds of people. There's Triss people and Yennefer people, and that Triss people, they they just Yennefer want... people are sheep. Triss Yennefer people, just... people are stupid sheep. Triss, Triss people just want a stupid pretty fuck sheep. Triss people just want a pretty hole to put their dick in. A pretty Yennefer, hole. Yennefer people a want pretty a hole. Yennefer people. Yennefer want people. A woman, a real woman. Yennefer people are slaves to memories they've never had. But they're still real, whether, whether well, they did no, have No, they're fucking made up. Anyway. You're a fucking Spongebob. Anyway. Uh, what, Spongebob? Yeah, Spongebob. Okay. Um, you need to do that quest line, because it's really good. It's one of the better ones. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Does it, it, is really... it actually more than just fucking her? Like, does oh. it go into a different quest? Yeah, it... it Yes, it, okay. it's it goes on to a, yeah. It, you need to do that quest line. It's okay. not about her, really. Okay, okay. She's just the instigator. Uh, it's fucking good. Uh, yeah, that that's like one of the top top five quests for sure. Okay, okay. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's that's a good I'll game. That's a fucking good game. And I'm also picking up Earthbound again. I'm gonna finish it. Okay. All these old school RPGs getting you yes. into it. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Whew, that was a long discussion. Yeah. Uh, which is good because we don't have a lot of news to talk about. Is there any really? No. Okay. No, we've, we've just put random things on here. There's the. I mean, I feel weird talking about anything at all right now because. Let me I just can tell your chi for... is off because of the... Yeah, my the... chi is strange. Yeah. Your, because uh, your aura is different. My aura is out of whack. Yeah, whack. Uh, whack. Yeah, so basically, in my area, Baltimore, there's 32 inches of snow. That's a lot of snow. <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine that because I've lived in Alabama all my life. It, it's... It's honestly insane. Um, I I left something in my car and I went to go get it, and uh, 
I, I couldn't open the door. I had to dig out the door to <laughs> open the door of my fucking SUV. That's that's something, man. I, right here we <laughs> have we have some amazing. frost. We have some frost on the grass around here, and that's it. I'm six foot two inches tall, and the snow is up to my waist. I'm glad I it don't was, live. It up was north. nuts. It was absolutely nuts. I like being a good old southern boy. All right. I bet you do. Well, thank let's you. talk about these two things. Hold on. Okay. Three things. Let's three hold. things to talk about here. Holding pattern. Two of them I think will be real quick. Uh, I wanted to mention that the witness is coming out, and I'm putting. In, I, I want to play that. It's made by the guy who made Braid. And really. It's supposed to be like a really crazy hard puzzle game. It looks really interesting. Um, so, I think that it's also really expensive though. So I don't know, but but yeah, uh, it, it you should look up the witness and check it out because it it definitely looks interesting. Um. What's what? Why have you put Mario sixty four here? Oh, okay. So, I saw this let's play. Or not really a let's play. It's called a uh, point five A button. Oh press. God, that that yes. I was yeah. reading about that and watching. I was skipping through that video today. I don't uh, really know. I'm pretty sure I'm late to the party here. Probably yeah. But it's basically just this. This guy who gets really intensely deep into specific technicalities of Super Mario 64, yeah. done with a tool-assisted speedrunner, and he's he's like, <laughs> he's involving parallel universes, where he's moving around in Mario 64, and then there's like four different instances of virtual spaces where these things are happening. I love that revelation. Revelation where he's like pointing himself in a direction and gaining up speed with like this yeah, glitch yeah, and then yeah. launching himself so fast that he goes to a parallel, literally a parallel universe in the Mario code. <laughs> it's bizarre. That, that what's, shit's what's crazy. It, the funniest thing about it though is how he explains it. Like he, he talks about it like it's all just obvious yeah, and, yeah. and basic. He's like, clearly a very smart And then, person. at this point, we have to acknowledge that the parallel universe is in effect, so that these four frames here are... And then he... Everyone, of course, at that point is lost. Oh, but yeah. he's still talking as if you have the ability to keep up. <laughs> and it's kind of like, almost like a challenge. Like, yes, I will try to understand what you're saying. Okay, so what you're saying is that if this angle is this way, yes, god damn, I'm with you, buddy. Like, it's a really interesting experience. Yeah, uh, I didn't watch the full video, I just skipped through it, but that shit was crazy uh, that he was doing. And I looked up some, like, other tool-assisted stuff that I'd kind of seen in, like, SGDQ and stuff, like the Tazbot stuff. Um, but people have done crazy... Did you know, like, the older Pokemon games are coded in such a way that by manipulating inventory items yeah. around, yeah. you can literally code the game yep. Yep, 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 in game yep, yep, yep. and like create another game using yep. <laughs> using this empty code from Pokemon yep, that yep, you're yep, filling yep. in with inventory, like crazy shit. Uh, yeah, that's that. People go really far with that. I've seen like a, I've seen a Mario. I gotta say, uh, Super Mario that, World. That is one of the like most formative gaming moments of my life. What? Is me in the car with my older cousin. He was playing Pokemon Yellow. 
and he was doing the missing no glitch. Mm. Where you um, see the missing no Pokemon and duplicate your items. Yeah. And I had no idea about any of that, but just seeing a game that I thought was kind of ironclad and had set rules just being completely blown apart and broken, yeah. that was amazing. And this the like the speed running that happens now is like a tenfold escalation of all that literally tearing games apart yes uh, yes like, it, like it's amazing it's, and this it's so fun to watch if you look up there's a super mario world thing where they they glitch the game in such a way that like they they fuck it up so hard that it, it gives them an empty line of code or something that they can then like plug a raspberry pi into and and boot up like uh basically pong but they're yeah. still using the assets from super mario world so like it's mario being bounced around by like platforms and then like they start playing snake and they're still using the mario stuff and uh and then there's another one where That's they build so a mario level like they get into the debug mode somehow like still in game they get into the debug mario thing where they can actually build their own level and like you're just watching it frame by frame build this level crazy weird it's it's very very interesting and uh and yeah i agree that there, there you're, was... you're forced to ask who has time to do I this know, shit I, it's a hell of a hobby um but uh halo i think was one of the biggest things for me where like trying to find glitches and get out of the map and oh, stuff God, the super jumps in halo 2 that yes. was oh man that halo was 1 and where 2 it was at had some crazy glitches that you could you could find in uh... halo 2 was especially sloppy I it, think Halo One was sloppier, but Two was maybe, more popular because you could like two, get in multiplayer games and two do it. Ha- like the super jump on Ascension, that was my favorite shit to do ever. <laughs> that I yeah. would just always crouch under the thing and like get glitched out enough to jump onto the thing and get bounced all the way up. So that in was, one, uh, in one you could do warthog launches. Great. In one, you could go on silent cartographer and you could run around the level picking up grenades and then. On, on co-op and then stabbing your partner in the back while he's holding the grenades so that he drops them under the warthog. And then you can blow up all the grenades at the same time while at the same time grabbing an overshield and getting in the Warthog. And while the overshield is charging, you're invincible. So it launches the Warthog unbelievably high in the level and, and you're in it. And it's it's that was that was super fun. I would do that with my friend all the time. And and in the multiplayer maps, like in Blood Gulch, you can get up on the invisible walls and like drive your ghost up there and stuff. And I just thought it was single player has some weird stuff too, right? You can find monsters and like like uh, enemies that hadn't fully loaded in like their ai yet so like they're partially there but partially not like they don't react to you but they still it's weird um and that that was crazy for me like i guess for the same reason that pokemon was for you it's like i'd never done that with a video game like seen kind of the behind yes. the behind the curtain kind of thing and and i was fascinated i did so much of that with um half-life 2 with the yeah console yeah games. half-life 2 has some good ones um and uh, yeah i i uh, nowadays, when I see a glitch, it's just like, oh, there's a weird glitch, and it, it's it. There's no nothing magic about it anymore. But like at that age, there was, used to be real magic. Yeah, it was magical, man. Magical. It was David Blaine level shit. Uh, well, one more thing. One, one more thing. The Smash Brothers tournament. Genesis three, holy fucking shit. <laughs> the grand I knew finals. You were I was watching the grand finals between Mango and Armada is the best Super Smash Brothers melee that has ever been played. Damn. Um, 
in terms of quality of the match and everything. Mango lost early on to like some practical no name. He really it was really strange. And got placed in the losers bracket. Yeah, so you got put. In I the love the way they organize those tournaments. It, yeah, it's double uh, double elimination. Yeah. Um. So you lose once, and then you have one more chance, and if you lose again, you're out. Yeah. So um. Mango got put into losers, and then he came back, and he lost one set to Mango, and he won one set. Sorry, he lost one set to Armada, and won one set to Armada, and went up losing the tournament because of it. But, I mean, the grand finals between Mango and Armada was just above and beyond everything you could expect from Melee. Yeah. uh... Mango's Fox was so perfect he would do these short hop neutral layers into shines and then back into another shine and back up into a neutral layer into a shine and keep this insane pressure on armada and then armada whenever he had any opening at all a single grab he would turn it into a whole stock he would just perfectly chain them into that it was it was nuts all the way through it was a very, very close set, and as a set, it was probably the highest level the game's ever been played at. I don't think I've ever seen uh, in any sporting event. Maybe, maybe when Auburn had some crazy uh, last-second wins in in two thousand, I think it was thirteen, because um, I was there for those. But, but I've never seen any crowd react so strongly to something as as the end of that that last match yeah thing, where like right when right when it ended everyone just fucking went went insane like he like when mango Isn't won it, that or whatever well, uh he well mango, was it mango winning or was it mango won one set and then armada came back but the, the no the match before that right where mango was who who was he fighting to get out of the win- losers bracket right um, it was Mango and Plop. Was it that one that I saw the end of? The second to last match. Mango and PPMD. Was that it? The second to last match was the one where... Mango and Hungrybox. Mango that was it. Mango, Mango and Hungrybox. That was Hungry it. Box. yeah. I guarantee you. Yeah, yeah, with, uh, with Kirby. Uh, was, no, it was Jigglypuff. <laughs> uh, whatever. Uh, same fucking thing. Kirby to, is the worst character me. in the game. Um, that's who it I matters. always play in 64. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the, the ending of that... Thing. That was crowd nuts. reacting to the ending of that. You need to like look up a video of it because it is. I saw it. No, I saw I'm it. I'm just talking to the audience. Like, if you haven't seen this shit, you need to look up the ending because it's 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 insane. That like, is, the crowd goes fucking insane. That is what I love about melee. That even though I'm into it, I'm so glad that people who aren't super into it can watch it and understand what's happening. Yeah. That if you watch super high level Street Fighter. It still kind of looks like a kind of lame back and forth. That it's kind of very even and perfectly spaced. And but in melee, sometimes you'll just have people rolling each other over. Yeah. And that that's totally within the realm of the toppest, tippiest, toppest, highest level play. It's great. I love melee. It's great. It's got a hell of a hell of a community. You uh, and me should play sometime. I have no idea how to play. I, I wouldn't just hurt you. Yeah, you would. No, I wouldn't. You would destroy me. You know this. I I I'll, I, I'll I, am interested. I am interested. I should I should get Dolphin and all that shit and, and play it. But uh, 
yeah, that God, it's crazy to see the 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 way the crowd was into that. It's it's oh man, it's such a feeling. I'm seeing like I, I'm hearing people talking about how this is like a resurgence now, or, or like a second a second resurgence. It, it I is guess, like for uh, yeah, second win. Yeah, um, so that's exciting. That's cool. Uh, nothing else to talk about. There's no news this week. There's nothing happening. Bibimba. I mean, it kind of feels. On a very visceral level, it feels like <laughs> nothing is happening in the entire world. Yeah. That it, in the most raw kind of esoteric elemental way, it feels like everything is frozen and permanently still. Like there's a, um, you know, perfect silence over the world. That's very philosophical. Blankness. Guys, thanks for tuning in to Push to Shout podcast. Thank you. Tune in next week for Push to Shout.